I want to talk about that baggage this morning in a, with a very particular intention. Right? I, I, I want to talk about our baggage as a tool for evangelism. I hope that's not super strange or weird for you, but uh, bear with me because I promise I really believe this will make sense. One of the things that we often encounter, and we have these discussions with people, and I was at our evangelism consultation a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and one of the questions was, what do, you, what do you think is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people engaging in evangelism today? It's not hard to guess what, what the number one thing that came out was, the fear of people. The fear of rejection, the fear of people like that we're going to break the relationship that we have with them or that they're going to treat us differently or the, the fear that we're going to be perceived as Bible bashing because we try and tell someone about Jesus. Right? This, is one of the, this is one of the biggest concerns I think that the church today carries, maybe, maybe excuse that we use to not engage in evangelism. Well, I want to have a little sales pitch this morning. What if I could tell you that there was a way you could tell people about Jesus without being judged or rejected or f- being told you're Bible bashing them? All, right? All you need to do is just dial the number on screen now, have your credit card at the ready. <laughs> just kidding. Right? But there, I really believe there is a way, and I think that way is found in understanding the stuff that we all carry. Now, now you probably have experienced this in your own life because this is usually true of all of us. Right, the journey that we go on through life kind of leaves its marks on us. They're like the war wounds that we acquire and accumulate as we live our lives. And these experiences become lenses through which we begin to view the world around us and the people around us. Every one of us interprets our life in light of our own experience of it. Yeah, that's fair. Right? And some of us try and do this as objectively as possible, but, but even if you're trying intentionally to be objective, you are ultimately constrained by the way in which you see and have experienced life. And there's only so much objectivity you can even bring when you try and be intentional. And depending on what your experience of life has been, that, de- that determines your impression of the world that you live in. Sometimes your experiences have been generally positive, and that leads to a more optimistic worldview. Sometimes they've been pretty bad. And that can lead to quite a constrained worldview. As an example, if you've grown up in a family that really loves you in a complete family unit and everyone gets on really well, it's, pro- it's more likely that you're going to be easy, more easily able to trust other people, to give and to receive love because that's been normative for you as you've grown up. Conversely, if you've grown up by moving from one orphanage to another, you might grow up quite skeptical of other people. You're going to have difficulty trusting others. You've had to learn to look after yourself in an almost predatory way because no one else has. The way in which we grow up shapes who we are. The the things we experience shape things. And so I want to say this. I, I believe this to be true. Our view of ourselves and others often disqualifies us from believing that we can have meaningful gospel interactions with them. Does that make sense? The way in which we view ourselves and the way in which we view others often precludes us from having gospel conversations with people. I'll I'll give you a couple of examples to illustrate this. I'm going to tell you half the stories now and half the stories later, right? Three three stories. Um, I went to a bachelor's once. He was a friend of mine, not a super close friend, but a reasonably good friend. And if you've ever gone to a bachelor's, you'll know that all of the guy's friends are now there, generally speaking. uh, There's a large, wide range and you tend to, in Cape Town, we have lots of different cliques of friends, and so you know some of them, but not all of them. And so here we are together, and uh, there are a group of guys, and I remember there just being this one guy, 
And he, you know, his hair was just so, and his shades were like these beautiful Oakleys, and his clothes were tight. And I was just like, this guy and I, we're different people. We're, just, we're just not going to connect. You know, that, that's, gonna, that's just how it is. So I'm going to stick with my people over here, and I'm not, we're not really going to engage. I'll tell you how that went in a little while. I have another friend who is very outwardly not Christian. You know, he's the kind of guy that drinks a lot, smokes a lot, goes to strip clubs, does many typically non-Christian things. This is, this is the kind of guy that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think by accident he was a Christian guy. And, and I, the temptation for me to believe in, as I was in a relationship with him is he's not really interested in the gospel. You know, he's you know, a white male about my own age. He's grown up in Cape Town. He probably knows the gospel. Someone's probably told it to him at some point. In fact, he probably went to, to Sunday school as a kid and moved away, right? As it turns out, he has a Catholic background. How about another friend of mine? He, he just, he's just like a very normal guy. He, he's, uh, he's managing and designing micro apartments. That's his thing. Uh, he's got a family. He's got two kids. His life is well, well together. It just doesn't seem like he needs the gospel because his life is fine. Everything's going well Life is carrying on. Often we evaluate people and we apply these lenses to people and we look and we say, you know what, it doesn't, you don't, it's not obvious that you need Jesus. Like, or you wouldn't really respond to Jesus. Or actually, I can't even talk to you because you and I are just two very different people. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we think that someone like that would never want to speak to someone like us. And then our own inferiority lens affects the way in which we think and see others. Sometimes we disqualify them because we think that they don't need the gospel or wouldn't want the gospel or wouldn't respond to the gospel, and we wouldn't want to damage our friendship in, by bringing it to them when they don't want it, so we just don't do it. I, think, I don't think I'm the only person to have wrestled with these ideas. Right? I think we all wrestle with these ideas. And, and the, more, the more I speak to people, the more I realize it's an excuse that we use to excuse ourselves from engaging others with the gospel. And it's often because of our fears of what that might mean for us if we do that and what it's going to do to the relationship and what it's going to mean about how people are going to think about us because we've now introduced Jesus into the space that they didn't really want Jesus to be in. Well, if it is our fears, I could tell you things like this. I could tell you that, do you know, 1 John 4, 18 tells you that perfect love casts out all fear. So if you would just walk in perfect love, then you wouldn't have a fear problem. And it's true. Right? Or I could tell you that Jesus told people that we need to learn to not fear those who can only kill the body, but that rather to fear him who has the power after you have killed the body to cast the soul into hell. Rather fear him. That's what Jesus had to say. Right? Now, those are both true statements. They're both from Scripture, and, and God can speak to us through those things. But, but this morning, I want to suggest to you that there's actually no reason for fear in the first place. I, I want to look at a different way of engaging this. I want to suggest to you that the gospel still has a real place in the world that we live in today. That it is still powerful and effective to, to affect and to change the lives of people. And that because the gospel is still powerful, because it's still the anointed message of God, that it, can bring, that it gives us hope and courage in standing in that. And so I want to I build this a little bit through a couple of scriptures this morning unpack it a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, yeah, hopefully it'll begin to make sense, and my ramblings will come together. 
All right, so I want to start in, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. And, and here John makes it's a very small little statement towards the end of 1 John, but uh, it's incredibly theologically significant. He says this, we, we know that we are children of God, speaking about those who are saved and redeemed, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's what John says. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Or if you had to read it in the Greek, it says the whole world is held in subjection by the devil. So strong words. They establish for us a a foundational position. The world is held in subjection by the devil. That implies that he rules it with an authority. That it's his domain. It's under his governance and control. And that those who are outside of Jesus are subject to that control. Now, Peter begins to develop this idea in in a section of Scripture that, to be very honest, I would love to preach on the whole section of Scripture because he he has this, like, tirade against false teachers. And and I have a real concern about some of the false teachers that are out there at the moment. But he begins to warn people about false teachers and what they're doing. And and we're just going to land in his conclusion. His conclusion in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. And he says this. He says, these false teachers, they, they promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of, corruption, of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Peter says these teachers, they're out there and they're selling freedom. And we've got lots of teachers today who are selling freedom. Most of them are not in the church. Some of them are, right? But everyone's selling something and they're selling you a freedom. They purport to have found freedom. They tell you, no, we've got it. We've got it, and you can buy it from us for the low, low price. I'm just kidding, right? But Peter says, actually, even in their own lives, the freedom that they're attempting to sell you is not real because they are actually slaves to sin and to corruption, that they're not actually free, and yet they're trying to sell you what they have. They are in bondage. They are trapped, and they can't escape. And then he he quotes this, the saying as his reasoning, and he says, because you are a slave to whatever controls you. Whatever it is that drives you, whatever it is that directs and informs your thinking and your decision, it's to that that you have changed yourself. That is the thing to which you have become bound. And in their case, these teachers have been bound by greed and sensuality. For the Christian, I think this statement should hold true for us. We should be bound to Jesus. That's how Paul describes himself, as a slave to righteousness, as a slave given over to Christ. But for everyone, and sometimes even for us, it's often not Jesus to which we are chained. But we've chained ourselves to something else. We've chained ourselves to success, or to prominence, or to, to greed, or to fear, or to position, or anxiety. And there are all kinds of things that we begin to chain ourselves to. And in so doing, we become enslaved to those things, which is why we run the Living Free Course. The Living Free Course is about recognizing that sin creates bondage in us and that Jesus has given us the power to break that and to live in real freedom. That's also why Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's hopefully we're going to begin to bring this together here. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 5, he says, As for you, right, you who are Christian, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, When you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, and we gratified the cravings of our flesh and its desires, and we followed its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Some of us know the scripture reasonably well. This is obviously written to a group of Christians, but it describes the state of all Christians before they come to know Christ. It describes the state that all of us started in. It describes the state that all of the world is in. And he makes some pretty strong statements. Paul says, you were spiritually dead in your transgressions and in your sins. And actually, while you were in that space, you weren't just dead, but you followed the ruler of this world. You followed Satan. And Satan is now at work in all of those who don't know Jesus. He uses the term, who are disobedient, disobedient to the gospel, who haven't responded to the truth. People who don't know Jesus are following Satan, and they don't realize it. He's at work in their lives. And that you then live to satisfy the desires that he cultivates in them. And that ultimately, that when you live in that place, you are deserving of the wrath of God. And you would face that wrath in his day of judgments. But then Paul carries on. He says, because of the grace and the mercy of God, not because of us, not because Christians have done anything, but because of God, we were spared that wrath. We've been given new life. We're saved from that judgment. But in this section of Scripture, Paul shows that, that all of us, every, every one of us sitting here and every person that ever lives has a common starting point. It's a point in our lives where we are under the control and, and in the dominion of Satan, where our lives are lived under a bondage that we can't see and yet is very real. And Paul says the good news, the good news is that Jesus the Messiah has come. And with his arrival, he's changed the status quo, that he's able, even when people are in the depths of Satan's bondage, to release them into genuine freedom. I think it's John who writes and says about Jesus that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. can't remember exactly where, but it said there. If he did, and here's the thing, guys, I want us to grab this. If Jesus did that for us, he can do it for others. See, the gospel has real power. The gospel is not just a story. It's not just a story that's been passed on. It is the record of a reality that changed history. It is because the king of heaven, the creator of earth, who who built and designed everything, he came down to earth. He became a man. He broke the power of Satan and sin and death. And he made a way for men and women to be saved from the wrath of God and from the dominion of Satan where we all start. It's what Jesus did, which is why Paul says so confidently in the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel, the good news about the fact that Jesus is alive, that he is the king, that he is the Messiah, it is the power of God to bring about salvation for those who will believe in him. Jesus himself acknowledges this. He states openly that one of the reasons that he came was to remove the burdens that Satan and sin have put on us. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Other translations say heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus knows that without him, all men and women live under the bondage of Satan. 
He knows that the power of sin is real no matter how much we might try and cover it up. And His compassion for us is so deep and so real that His offer for us is genuine. He's not trying to sell us something. Jesus came because He recognized the bondage that we as humanity were in. And He came to provide a solution. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. And when He sees us, He has compassion on us. Because He really cares. And He really makes a difference. Remember those three stories I started telling you earlier, very briefly. The first guy, that, the guy I thought was too cool for me, well, God has a sense of humor, and we sat next to one another in the restaurant section of the bachelors, opposite one another, and so we, we began to chat. Turns out, we had, a, we had a really incredible discussion, because he had grown up in the Catholic Church, he had had a child outside of wedlock, and the church had condemned the child. And basically put him out the church. And he carried this major hurt and pain in his heart because he had been rejected by God in the name of the church. And so we had this huge op opportunity to share and to minister and to speak life. Even though I thought we'd never, like we would never, why would he want to speak to me? And yet there was this thing, this baggage that he was carrying that I couldn't see that opened up the way for the healing power of Jesus to speak life into it. My second mate, who, who isn't a very Christian guy, and I thought wouldn't really be interested in the gospel, well, last year we sat down around a fire and we had a five-hour conversation about the reality of Jesus and the power of the gospel and what God has done in my life and could do in his life. And we took some time to pray for him into a work situation that he was in that was terrible. He was in a really, really difficult work situation. And we, he just opened up, and we began to chat, and we began to share, and we prayed. And you know what? God came through in an incredible way that afterwards, he came up to me at the beginning of our next season, and his wife came, and she hugged me three times in a row. She said, Brad, you don't understand. This is so much better than we could ever have asked for or anticipated. Like, we could never have pictured a scenario where this came out so well. Yeah, God came through for him, and we were, the gospel was able to begin to penetrate. The third chap, the guy that seemed to have it all together, well, we got, we got together for a run one day, and we were just chatting and sharing as we were running. Things I didn't know, his business was falling apart. He's holding on by, by the, like, the tips of his fingers, because he's he, like, if I don't get a new job in by the end of the month, my family and I are going to be, like, we're going to have to move out of our home. We're going to have to sell our house. We're going to have to move back into our parents' house. Like, that's how serious the situation was. And you would never have known. You would never have known because he was just a normal dude living a normal life, looking very normal, like everything was together. But behind the scenes, things were falling apart. The gospel is always relevant. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And we really need that salvation because we walk around with these burdens that we don't want to show anyone. We don't want anyone to see. But when we as God's people begin to genuinely care for the people around us, they might just let you in. And they might just let you say, you know what, I see something in you. Like, and I'd love to know, like, help me in this space. God is funny, do you know that? I don't know if you've discovered this. So I prepared this message. It was done by Thursday afternoon. I was very excited. And um, 
off I went last night to play a hockey match, as I do on, on the weekends, and uh, we played against our previous club, the club we used to be a part of, and, uh, and so after playing the guys, we went back to their clubhouse to have a drink or two together, and as I walk into the clubhouse, there's a group of guys who are chatting, one of the guys who used to be associated with our team, he's not well known to me personally, but he was just a part of the team when we were at this particular club, he comes up to me and he, he says, Brad, I need to talk to you. Like, I need a, and I was like, sure, bro, like, what's going on? He's, Brad, my life is in a hole. Like, I, I, can I speak to you, please? And we, we had a long 10-minute conversation about how terrible his space was. I didn't initiate anything. I literally did nothing. I just arrived, and he came over and spoke to me because there's baggage, there's stuff. And things I have learned, we all carry stuff. We all carry stuff. There's, all some, we, there's a concern or there's a hurt or there's a challenge or there's an issue that something is, we're all carrying something. And God speaks life into those spaces. And God brings life. And as Christians, we can bring his life into that space and we can destroy the weight and the power of the baggage so we can begin to walk in freedom. And we get to do that for others. We get to, we get to help them encounter the risen Savior for themselves because we don't, we don't solve the problem. We don't have the words of wisdom, but Jesus has life, and Jesus can make the difference. None of us are disqualified for evangelism because we don't know the right words to say or we haven't done the right courses. We know the risen Savior. No one out there is disqualified from the gospel because they need to meet the guy that we know. That's All we have to do is make the introduction. That's the role that God has given us to play. And I bring this to a close, and I want to do that with two closing comments. And the first is, like, what happens if it gets hectic? Right? Some of you might be wondering that. Sometimes, sometimes when you begin to engage the baggage people are carrying, it can be scary. I remember sitting down with some friends, and, and we, were, we were talking. We were talking about some deep stuff, things that opened up. And suddenly, suddenly I get told, you know what, actually I'd been raped in my past. And then this thing that's, that had been done to me in, in the relationship that they were in, that, that feels like that. And guys, I'm going to be very honest with you. I've done one year of psychology. Like, I have, I have been working in the church for a while, but I don't feel equipped to deal with something like that. That, that, was, that was hectic. Right? And sometimes we're going to land in a space where when Jesus comes to engage with people's baggage, things get hectic. Well, so I think there's two there's two different roles that we need to recognize we play. The first is you, you start in a position of the friend and the confidant. You begin by providing support, by listening, by praying, and by trusting in Jesus. And I genuinely believe in that moment, God gave me wisdom. As I began to pray, because I recognized, well, things are about really leveling up here. It's a little outside of my comfort zone, a lot outside of my comfort zone. I don't really know what to do or what to say. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to know wh- how to begin to help the space. And I, and I believe he gave me some of that. But, but sometimes you need to recognize that things are above your pay grade and that there is someone else who's going to be able to offer better help than you are. Right? And so, so then you get to that point and you need to say, you know what, I'm going to journey with you in this thing and I'm going to, I'm going to be here for you and I'm going to pray for you, but I think you're also going to need some, some other help. There's going to be someone that needs to bring slightly more significant, maybe professional help into that. Sometimes you're going to need to do that when things get hectic. But, but I think you get, 
like when things get serious, we got, we got the role that we can play and then the role that we're going to refer to others to play. And that's what the body is for, right? We know one another. We recognize, you know what, I, I know that there are people in this body that I can call on if I encounter situations that are beyond my space. And there are people who know people that will help me put people in touch, right? And we get to do that for one another. The last thing, and I'm going to end with this. If this is really true, if the gospel really is the power of salvation for those who would believe, if people really are carrying baggage and are in bondage to Satan, and if Jesus really is the way out, will you begin to pray for people? Who are the people that that are actually in your spaces right now that you can begin to be praying for? Pray for them that God would speak to them. Pray for them that he would help them to see the stuff that they're they're carrying. Pray for them that they would begin to desire a way out and pray that God would give you an opportunity to speak life. That you would be invited in, that you wouldn't have to bait and switch the gospel onto someone, that they wouldn't feel like you had to smash the Bible down their throat, but they would genuinely want to ask you because they recognize you carried something that they could, they could be blessed by. They recognize that actually they, they, might, they need something else because it's not working. And God can speak life into that. Is that all right? Can we do that together? Okay. Let's close. Let's pray together. I really trust that God will be at work through us and in the lives of others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Jesus, I want to thank you, praise you, and bless you that you are the living God, that you are the Messiah, the Christ. That our faith is not based on a story, it's based on a reality. That you live and exist, that you are the King of heaven, that you are the Lord of all creation that everything is in subjection to your authority. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have welcomed us into your presence, that you took our problems and our baggage and our problems, and you said, I'm willing to pay the price for that. And I'm willing to, to, to help you find life and freedom from those things. That I bring healing and wholeness to those who are in bondage. Thank you that we can bring our burdens to you, Jesus and place them on you, and take up your yoke, and find that we get rest in you, and that your burden and yoke is easy. And Lord, I pray for us. Lord, help us to begin to to look around us, and to see with your eyes, to see our friends and our family for the need that they have for you. Help us to be praying, Lord, for the people around us, to be trusting you, to be consistently lifting them up to you and trusting that you would speak to them, that you would call them to yourself, that you would open their eyes to recognize their need for a Savior. And God, give us grace and boldness to see the opportunities that you open for us and to step in in faith, God, and to know that we don't have all the answers, but we have Jesus. And he is able to do far above all that we can ask or imagine. Lord, thank you that you love the world so much that you gave your son for them. That you gave your son for us. That we are here just because of the grace that you showed us. And Father, help us. Help us to be ministers of that grace to others. 
We ask this in your wonderful and your powerful and your glorious name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for being with us this morning. Our time is kind of coming.